0: Life happens, Life happens with Pinelo Mutine. Pinelo Mutine on SAFM. On SAFM.
1: All right, we now move to the part that I'm, I've i been dreading but looking forward to at the same time, and that is celebrating the life of Zinzi Mandela, who passed on. At the age of 59, news came through, and I think everybody was just in absolute shock. Um, nobody anticipated this, and um, I can personally tell you that the shock waves were just felt by almost everybody that I know. And most of these people didn't even know her personally. So I thought to myself, what about those who really were close to her? Binky Kobani is a writer and a personal friend to ambassadors in Zimandela who passed on. And um, I just thought, let's just reach out to her family and friends. Let's see how they're doing and perhaps share some stories if, if it's possible. Binky, thank you so much for joining us. Good afternoon. Ah. Condolences to you, Pinky, and I think I suppose I want to ask you how how are you feeling today? How, was is today better than yesterday? It was just a few minutes ago. I felt you know I could I could um,
2: I had the strength. Mm. Um, you no, know, it's very hard. You know, it, it really is very hard. It's um, it's one thing to I don't know. I don't know. You know, there's so many things going through my head. Um, the pain in my heart is just, it's immense, you know, it's, um, it's very painful. It's very sad. It's a very sad day. It was yesterday. It was shocking. It's I'm still in disbelief. You know, I still cannot believe it's true. but yeah that's 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 what it is hey, that's life.
1: Can we reflect on her a bit more as a as a friend? Would you share with us what was her happy place? <laughs> but, sorry, I didn't get that What was her happy place what what really gave her joy? <laughs>
2: I mean you know Zinzi was such a she was such a funny person i I was actually just laughing reading those tributes, and mm. I was thinking I was just missing her already, I just want I wish she was around to just um what sent me
1: the response <laughs> Her reaction to them. Hey rolling eyes. <laughs> rolling eyes rolling eyes i <laughs> giving And <give it. laughs> I'm thinking, and Oh please, oh please Yeah I'm thinking oh my listen. This is so, uh, look at this one. <laughs>
2: yeah, we used to call us um we used to we discovered that we actually from royalty. She and I, yes. and we shared that. As, as, um, so we called each other Queen yes. P sometimes yes. and Miss Queen Z. And she, she'd be like Miss P, look at this. What, what? <laughs> I'm sorry if this. What do you What What? I'm sorry. Um, I have to use this word. What fucker is this? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. But, and and that was just her, right? Because one one of the things that people are, uh, not many people have this. People have different personalities for different things. But she yeah. was consistent in her professional career, in her personal life, she was um solid as a rock, you know? You, what you saw is what you got and um she didn't change. She she was she, Yeah, you she know, she just said it straight yeah.
2: down the line, but it doesn't matter who we, to who yes. And uh when, you know, I mean <laughs> I always miss her saying Miss P tell me now oh, why why is Utah being celebrated in Centon in and not in the <laughs> top <laughs> 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 oh,
1: that goodness. straight talking is, is certainly what I think many of us are going to miss.
2: Yeah, I mean her straight talk and yet such a wonderful um you know that people who are just straight talkers Mm. and really nasty human beings um just but she was so wonderful i mean she had such generosity Mm -hmm. you know i mean you even wanted to block her help her from Mm. all her Mm -hmm. like please stop you know people on twitter would bombard her and she'd be trying to send people money and helping them with all sorts of things Heck, you can't you've just got such a load on you you know mm. um a part of me says she's resting you know she's resting mm-hmm. she's she's mm-hmm. done i get that i get that she's she's just she's just had she's done so much she's had so much
1: on her mm. shoulders um you know what she, what 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 i was thinking Pinky, and correct me if i'm wrong she mm. she she couldn't help it but be um, an activist. She she couldn't help but care, you know. She couldn't help no, it. She was born that way. She was, she was born, born that, that way. And that it must weigh down on you, right? That must weigh down on you yeah. because every every time you see injustice, you, you mm. have to and you feel like you need to get up and do something about it.
2: Yeah, I mean, she she just, um, she helped all of us, you know. She isn't just listening, you know. Mm. Cindy and I would speak in the late night mm. Um all the way from Denmark, and she would she would say to me, "Sissy, no, do this, help, you know." Mm. She would just listen to something. I'd be petrified, as I said in my tribute to her. Mm. Uh, a man at the door telling me they're gonna, you know, mm. f me up for writing ish yes. about white people. Yeah. She would actually listen to me in that panic, in that panic mode, and she'd say, "Don't be scared. Don't let them scare you, you know." Mm. She gave you an ear. She should say what. Your computer is gone again. Let's let's find another computer. Mm-hmm. Let's find another computer. Like oh, you know, and she was always there, always there for
1: everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, for everyone. It's it's incredible. Um, do so, you think? Do we? Do you think? And and I know this as a friend. It may be different to how you respond to it. Do you think we, we supported her enough? In, you know, She was there for so many people. Yeah. Do you think she felt that the world was there for her? Oh, no. She, I
2: mean, Nindindu knew people loved her. Mm-hmm. She knew it. Mm. She, she, she worked um, for... Her love was really like her mother's mm-hmm. uh, for grassroots people. Mm. And she knew that love. She absolutely knew it and she also knew she had a lot of people who <laughs> who didn't like her. Mm. And she didn't care. You know, she she knew the people who loved her and um it didn't matter that she had all this. I think the one of the biggest uh painful moments for her was uh, what was you know, the the attacks on her mother and yeah. punishing her name and her credentials. I think that was the most painful thing, and she responded with it, uh, to it with her own, uh, you know, vicious attacks. And she 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 didn't spare anybody who tried to tarnish her mother. Uh, and one thing that I think was absolutely wonderful, and she goes in peace, is she has, you know, um, spoken, and she she's had that uh, documentary. Um, uh, which which has, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, changed the, pe- the, the perception. And it vindicates, um, yeah. A, has it vindicated like, uh, her mother. Mm. Um, so I think that is one of
1: the most wonderful things. One, uh, one which, appreciates the... The void, and I don't know if that's mm. the right word, but the void and, and just that you just couldn't replace the the lost years, the, the lost childhood years um, that she she lived through uh, because of apartheid and just not having a proper family relationship with all her family members. I mean, that's just unfortunate. Um, yeah. But they they eventually developed some sort of a, you know, relationship, which is good. Did she... To what extent was that, you know, so paramount to her? Because the adoration that her father had for her and the connection she had with her mother, the connection, I mean, that is just beyond history books, right? I mean, that's the kind of thing that um, is soulful, so to speak, I think.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, um, in pain, the pain that they've gone through uh, together and what she she witnessed, mm. Uh, her mother go through, mm. you know, um, on a daily basis, on a regular basis, um, and I don't mean to be disrespectful of Utada, uh, uh, mm. but the, the, the reality is that being in prison, you are almost shielded from mm-hmm. your. They didn't see this on a daily basis, you know. Yep. Uh, they didn't see it. They didn't see what was happening. I mean, the stories she would tell of, as a child, you know waiting, thinking her mom is coming back home. Meanwhile, no, she's not. She's Mm -hmm. going to be, uh, they're now being shipped off uh, to some isolated place that's never been to, Brentford. So those kind of things, they really touched her a lot. And, um, And that also brings in pain, there's a connection and the kind of adoration she had for her mother and love for her mother is... Is, is untouched. Mm-hmm. It's just something mm-hmm. beyond what um, most people will ever. And she protected her mother. Mm-hmm. You know, she loved her mother dearly and she did everything to protect her. Um, and it was very hard for her when she also when she passed, passed away.
1: I mean, but I mean, it, it's not by any means a disrespect to Dada, but because she witnessed her mother being tortured you know there's a difference between what you hear and what you see she was there yeah. she lived yeah, through she it. was
2: always there she was always there when you know belongings thrown onto uh, trucks and her mother being pulled here and there and being taken away she witnessed it you know she saw it and um i mean there's there's nothing can there are very few yeah. events that can touch one, like seeing your mother being treated the way she witnessed her mother being
1: treated. And I was going to ask you about that, that level of trauma, because I think we don't talk enough about the trauma. The, the trauma yeah. that was inflicted on, on all of us South Africans, but mm. particularly those mm. who were here seeing it firsthand. Mm. How did yeah, she cope I mean, with that trauma? Because it must have stayed with her. No,
2: it has. But I mean, for me, as I say, she has this kind of strength mm. that most of us don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, you know, when she told those stories, she, she told them with such calm, mm. uh, almost as if she had gone through, the anger was there. She, she was angry, but it's almost like she was in another, um, she would say it with such calmness that I feel so angry, just her telling me the stories that she was telling me. And I often thought, how how did she deal with all of this? You know, how how does she reach that level? How do you reach that level? But I think it comes with also the care, but leadership. I think Zinzi was such a leader mm-hmm. that, um, you know, leaders have a certain level of focus that ordinary beings don't have, honestly. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you find that they're very focused They'll say, yes, this is what has happened, but let's look at where we are going for the future. Let's keep on. It's not yet Uhuru. There's there's war out there, you know. We still have the injustices, the inequality, and betrayal by a government for which they had suffered so much uh, because people remain in very unequal, uh, poor conditions, even in this new democracy of ours. 26 years later and those kind of things she was very passionate about mm. it's a betrayal that she constantly spoke about and i mean she yeah i mean she you <laughs> no, uh, I, I can't uh, i can't say some of the things mm. that she would say mm. but she was completely she felt the betrayal
1: Pinky, be comforted. You had a wonderful friend. Be really comforted. You had a wonderful
2: friend. I did indeed. Thank you so much for the time and giving me the time. Absolute pleasure.
1: Pinky Kobani, who is a friend and a writer of... I mean, as she as she laughed, I just wanted to put that in a little bottle because I thought, OK, there, there is a soul that uh, Zinzi is still around and, and she's touching into that. So that is um, uh, Ambassador to Denmark, who's just passed on um, a few days ago as uh, Zinzi Mandela and just a friend who was just thinking through and uh, telling her about her own personal relationship with her. What a giant. We're going to be speaking to Gail Smith, Professor Gail Smith, who is also a writer, a journalist, spokesperson for City Institute about how she wants to at least contextualize Zinzi's contribution to our liberation and particularly now because I think that that um, that activism hasn't quite died I think she was doing a lot even currently and we're just going to have that conversation how we're we going to contextualize her legacy
0: you're listening to Pimelo Mutine on SAFM The strength of women and the role that they play is so often overlooked in society with us being direct participants in this overlooking the role that that women play. So it wasn't very easy in those years. What it meant sometimes was when we come back from boarding school, the very day that we come back, my mother is arrested by the security police. So we get there and we find a dark house a cold house, a lonely house, and an empty house. And the neighbors would then, those who are brave enough, will then, you know, take us in, look after us, or try to find a relative to alert that these children are alone, so please come and be with them. So you can imagine what it's like for a child to come from boarding school, there's nobody at home, and when you do have access to seeing your mother, she's behind bars as well. And this is something that they often did to try to break her, to try to break us. So that as we grow up, the choices that we make, we must want the perfect ideal family existence. That means you must play it safe. You must be quiet. You mustn't be vocal against the system. You must just be a good native. And this we would not allow. We saw to it that from an early age, uh, we got very involved in politics. We were activists on the ground. Um, My father, I remember him also having a long talk with me, saying I will not allow you to go into exile, I don't know where it came from. Uh, This family has already sacrificed so much, you need to be here. So because of his fears and so on, we then joined the underground movement. Underground movement, feeling that it's important in life that when somebody tries to silence you, that you become as vocal and as loud as possible. Whoever our creator is. Whoever our creator is, the first instrument you were ever given is your voice. That's the first instrument. So that needs to be heard loud, continuously. And we have a slogan that says, break the silence. We constantly have to break the silence. Uh, We would not, and I think... um, When I talk again about my mother, she's a typical example of that, of how you should always be vocal when other people choose to play safe, choose to look after their narrow self-interest as opposed to being very vocal about whatever it is that's going wrong in society or around them. And for that, I salute her.
1: So that was actually quite recent. This was in 2018, a speech that she made in Denmark. She was speaking at the International Institute for the Inclusion Museum. And this was during the 2018 Freedom Speech and Concert event held in Denmark there. Uh, my guest on the line is Anne Langfat, who is a friend and activist who works with Global Ac- um, Action, an NGO, an old Danish anti-apartheid movement organized based in Copenhagen. She was a friend to Ambassador Zinzi since she arrived in Denmark in 2015. And condolences to you and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us.
3: Uh, thank, thank you, Thank you. And uh, I'd also like to express my uh, heartfelt condolences, of course, with Lindsay's uh, close family, first of all, her friends, her colleagues, but also to all South Africans who have uh, just lost one of their great leaders who was uh, a huge uh, source of unshakable hope and, and fearless activism for, for so many millions.
1: I mean, you were there when she de- de- delivered the speech. Um, would you take us through that day?
3: Um, which speech, sorry?
1: This was at the Freedom Speech and Concert event in Denmark. Oh, yes, that one. So, yes.
3: yes. Yes, it was, an, uh, it was a large uh, tribute uh, day, also, where, where Cindy, of course, did talk about her, her background um, and her history. Uh, but, of course, as she always does, I think, uh, with any of her speeches, she used it, uh, the platform, to mobilize and to show support uh, for different groups uh, in society. It was a it was a long program that, where there was uh, music and, and speeches from people all over the world, in fact, and also uh, Danes uh, at this event. <clears throat> and um, and again, sorry?
1: Go ahead, go ahead.
3: Yeah. So, And again, as I said, she was always one who would try to, uh, uh, you know, bring people together uh, and make sure that something came out of these events. She didn't just come and make a speech. <clears throat> there would be uh, um, appointments made and uh, meetings the following days, Something would always be produced if you like it with you. always productive events for her, what, uh, so she was mobilizing with all her speeches.
1: What was what, what was it that stood out the most for you for in your relationship with Zinzi? Well,
3: on a on a on a personal level, yes. I think we just uh, clicked very quickly. Uh, we have a similar kind of humor, uh, and we also, I think. Um, Sort of very real, not uh, interested in uh, hanging out with the elites, uh, if you like. <laughs> she was extremely down to earth, yes. uh, as, uh, as I'm sure everyone uh, will, will tell you. And I think that's actually one of the things she really enjoyed about Denmark, um, is that she was, could be quite anonymous here. A lot of people didn't recognize her. So we could go to restaurants and bars and have lunch, and, and no one would know who she was. I think she really enjoyed that. And even she said sometimes, and even when I do, when they do find out who I am, they don't give it in. <laughs> so, <laughs> difficult of, of her, of course. But she, she really enjoyed that, uh, <clears throat> that you can have maybe more of a, uh, a little bit more peace here than she can when when she's around people who know who she is uh, in, in South Africa, I guess. And, and,
1: um, and what, will you miss hmm? with, what will you miss the most in?
3: Well, it's uh, it's hard. It's so soon. It's uh, you know something we haven't talked much, uh, thought much about yet. Mm. But it's uh, I guess it's that uh, larger than life uh, love that uh, that she shared so generously with everyone uh, that was her friend. Uh, of course, all the crazy stories she can tell from all corners of the world and, and from a long and eventful life. Uh, but also that she was probably the, the best listener I've ever met. Um, except maybe from her mum, I guess she had it had it from her, uh, but uh, an amazing uh, support and uh, you know a shoulder to lean on uh, always. But but also the way she, uh, particularly here in Denmark, uh, she did so much work here that <clears throat> I don't know if, if South Africans know much about it. I doubt it. Go ahead. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> but that she was so much, uh, maybe not uh, would not surprise anyone, but she was really a people's ambassador that her, her eyes were already always turned, first of all, to those who are suffering, to those who are vulnerable, uh, those who are oppressed, uh, and she would be their ambassador. Um, and that was really special that she came. I saw the first thing uh, I saw from her when she just arrived is that she visited women's centers and a juvenile detention center. Hmm. And I thought, well, this is a different kind of ambassador, uh, not just here to get, uh, you know, for an direct investment and make business deals and all that. She was a much broader kind of uh, presence here. And she has made uh, so many friends here that um, the loss is great here in Denmark uh, as well. And uh, I think it started, I actually met her first uh, just when she arrived in I think it was in June 2015. Yes. I got a quite formal letter from the embassy uh, asking me to please come out because I was organizing a Ma- Mandela Day uh, cycling ride in Copenhagen. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so they wanted to talk about this use of the name Mandela. But uh-huh. <laughs> so it was quite formal and I was very nervous and so now i so much as I had had contact with the embassy, I hadn't met uh, Cindy Mandela yet. So I was, you know, meeting a a member of this uh, f- a family that I've admired for, for so many years. I was quite nervous. And she was also a bit tough when I first arrived. And said, but, uh, you know, I need to know that you're not abusing this name mm. uh, and, uh, you know, collecting money and stuff. And then I said, no, it's just, I mean, it is accredited by the foundation. And uh, anyway, I'll just change the name. It's not, it's not, must definitely not be an issue. And then she totally relaxed. And you know, within five minutes, she went from being, uh, you know, her excellency ambassador Mandela to simply being friendly, uh a friend in, in the making. So that was uh, absolutely amazing. Um, and and soon after that, um, her her boss uh, arrived in Denmark, uh, deputy minister for Kato, um, and she chose to actually have a, a meeting um, at the old anti-apartheid movement, then called Africa Contact, now called uh, Global Action. Um and it was in the you know, in the in the backyard of a building in a in a not a very rich area of town and they came there and the ambassador vehicles couldn't even enter the backyard so they had to get out and walk. And uh then we diminished them for care she got and then she saw the stairs and there was no lift and she said, No, but we've dealt with more difficult things in, in our time. So she kicked off her shoes and walked up on her socks. Uh and then she prepared and we had gathered all the a uh, whole, whole lot of um, <clears throat> old anti-apartheid veteran activists uh, in Denmark. They were all there, and the uh, deputy minister for care to prepared a speech. He stood there with his uh, stack of papers. Uh, but first, um, this, the head of secretariat, Morten Linsen, uh, at uh, Global Action, gave his speech, and he talked about that long and amazing journey of, of 30 years uh, of, uh, of fighting uh, apartheid from the Danish side and getting... What was actually the most comprehensive boycott uh, against the apartheid South Africa in the world, I think, was the Danish one. Yeah. Uh, it was a long process. So that was a, a long story he could tell. And then he went on to talk about how we have become more and more critical of the ANC you know, from the time of the AIDS uh, because, um, denial and all that. Okay. Um, so he was honest, and uh, some eyebrows were raised of this uh, criticism. Uh, but then um, uh, Deputy Minister Foqueto got up and she just uh, pushed aside her stack of papers of speech and said, "This undiplomatic guy has just destroyed my speech mm. uh, and then she also spoke straight from the heart and from almost from activist to activist mm-hmm. uh, and in this sense i uh, also I thought about it always but uh, but since it was also this uh undiplomatic diplomat. Mm. I mean, she was in diplomatic with, uh, in the real sense of, of building strong relations and friendship, and she's certainly done that between uh, Denmark and Sadarska, but also at, all the, at the personal level. Thank you. But uh, undiplomatic, maybe in the sense of not respecting all the formalities uh, at all points, and maybe being a bit too real mm. to be too honest sometimes for some. <laughs> uh, but this, of course, is exactly what I, what I like so much uh, about her, that she was real. And, and even uh, I could, I would sometimes disagree with her on something, and um, she would get. Uh, we've had, we've had our fights for sure, and I could almost feel in my floorboards here in my flat uh, the rumbling thunder from the, the ambassador residence when she was angry with me. But she always respected uh, my right to say when I was angry, and it, in the end, when she was angry, and in the end, it, it strengthened our our friendship for sure. Oh,
1: I appreciate uh, so your she take. Was a, really appreciate feel real, the
3: uh, Democrats in that sense.
1: Thank you so much. And Langfat, who is a friend and activist of uh, now the late Danish, um, uh, you know, ambassador Zinzi Mandela. We continue our conversation after the headlines. We're so sorry we're late. Uh, It's 2.30.
0: Life
2: life happens with Pimeno When
0: people often say, your father, for him to be so forgiving after being incarcerated for 27 years, after everything that he went through, I will then ask, what did he go through? because people at times, especially from outside our community experience, refuse to acknowledge what he was put through. And what he went through is what was being done to his family once he was behind bars. The brutality of the apartheid regime meant that I as a five year old, my sister just about six, ended up in boarding school in Swaziland. And why? Because everywhere that my mother took us to school, the system as we refer to them would come to that school, harass the school principals, and we'd be chased away from the school. She learns to be creative, to try to keep us educated. She then developed a trick of straightening our hair and changing our names and taking us to so-called current schools. And the same thing would happen there, where the system would catch up with us and intimidate the principal, threaten them with detention, and we'd have to leave the school. So at the age of five, I was at home, not able to go to school. And my sister, just over six, also at home, not being able to go to school. And somebody heard about our plans and offered my mother and said, look, I can help you, let me take these children to school in Swaziland. That was the reality. That's how we ended up at boarding school, at a place where neither she could come and visit us because she was banned, she was under house arrest, she wasn't allowed to travel. So from an early age, we learned how to be independent, how to be very vigilant about what is happening around us, and we learned how to pay more attention to the condition of our people. We were very aware from an early age that there was something out of kilter with the way society or the community was supposed to be structured.
1: That is the voice of the late ambassador to Denmark, Zinzi Mandela, who's passed on at the age of 59. And My other guest is Gail Smith, who is herself a writer, an activist, a journalist, spokesperson of the Soul City Institute. Gail, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us this afternoon. Good afternoon.
4: Good afternoon, Pimelo, and um, to all of the guests who have been on. um, It's been an incredible conversation to listen to. So thank you so much for inviting me.
1: I thought you would be best suited to contextualize just what a What a powerful individual um, Ambassador Zinzi was, just to also contextualize her individuality in all of the noise that you hear about other people and and, and people, you know, in her periphery, but that we we need to give her space and time for her leadership to stand up. Absolutely.
4: And um, I mean, I just think that she, you know, the speeches that you've been playing speaks, so much to the legacy of both her and her mother. And of course they were inseparable because Mm -hmm. she was her mother's shadow, you know. She was her mother's shadow and she was her sister's protector. And um, the clip you played where she speaks about them getting sent to boarding school, Mm -hmm. they were actually, I mean it was a very, very heart-wrenching decision for Winnie to send away those girls. She was devastated when she realized that she would have no choice but to send them to Swaziland and out of the country. they were to get an education. And the thing was that both her and Mandela really, really wanted those girls. Those girls were really wanted children. They were both conceived very shortly after the marriage. And so for Winnie, you know, she knew she knew Nelson was getting sent away. She knew she had no chance with him. But those two girls were really her anchor and very, very much her reason for living. And so when they are five and six to realize that if she's going to do what she needs to do. She's going to have to send them away. And she makes that heart-wrenching decision to do it. And to hear Zinzi's side of that story is absolutely poignant, because I've only heard it from Winnie's mm. perspective, mm. you know, the absolute heartbreak. And in fact, what happened was that they were first sent to a Catholic boarding school which was absolutely awful for the girls. The the nuns were horrible to them they really victimised the girls and Winnie had absolutely no idea until they came home for a school holiday I think and they told the mother about what was going on and she changed the school after that but what was remarkable was that it was Zinzi who was protecting Zenani. Mm -hmm. She was always a sister's protector as a child. She would be the one saying, so mummy got arrested Z- zeni so what? We'll be okay, you know. So to hear it from her perspective on your show um, was just so poignant. But I think that, you know, obviously um, Winnie, Zenny, and Zinzi Mandela speak to the gendered nature of apartheid mm. and it 's so sad that, as a country, we have to wait for women to die yeah. before we begin to acknowledge the contribution. Um, now, I think something very interesting happened after Mawini died. There was an incredible uprising of young women who stood up in defense of Umama when she died and showed a different perspective on the struggle, and demanded a reckoning with the past. And I expect a very similar thing will happen with Cindy um, now that she has passed. But it is really sad Mm. that our country wants to benefit from the work of Mm. the loud women, of the defiant women, but we never, ever want to give Mm. them either credit Mm. or acknowledge the extent to which apartheid was so gendered Mm. and that these three women were subjected to sustained gender-based violence for most of their lives. And Zinzi in particular because, of course, she stayed with her mother. Um, You know, she was with her mother longer in in terms of Zenani getting married and moving out of the home. It was Zinzi that was with her mother. And by the age of six she had become so used to the security police's harassment, which was so gendered of her as a young woman. So, for instance, they would call the house and just breathe heavily into the phone. She would hang her laundry on the, you know, she would hang her washing on the line, and she'd come back and find all the the washing had been, um, you know, ripped with a knife. You know, so there was a, a really a lot of violence directed towards them, which was political violence, which was also very, very gendered. So I think that you know, a lot of what she has said about her own experience will definitely come to light now and cast a very different perspective on how we view our past and how we begin to see the contributions of women differently.
1: You speak of the, the protection, and I can so concur, and I want to read you a letter that she wrote when she was 12. 12 writing to the UN and this just speaks to what you've just been speaking to. And she says, I'm writing this letter to you because if my mother wrote, you might not receive it as most of her letters to her friends don't reach them. The family and mommy's friends fear that uh, an atmosphere is being built for something terrible to happen to mommy. And this was a young girl who, who felt the need to reach out to the UN because of the brutality, as you said, that she was faced with at 12. Absolutely. And she
4: was very skillful, like her mother, because letters were the only way that Winnie and Nelson could communicate. But the state was so spiteful in terms of the parameters of what they could contain. And they would say, confined only to family matters. But when you're a political family, no matter what you write, is political, right? So they would use that as an excuse to censor the letters. And Winnie very, very skillfully played them at their game. So Winnie, in her letters to Nelson, she would stay fully within the parameters of family matters. (laughs) But she would write in very (laughs) coded ways to (laughs) him. She would code the messages to him. And Zinzi was the same. So she writes a letter after they get sent to Brunfort. And Brunfort is horrific. Mm. It's Horrific for them. But Zinzi writes to her father and she says, it, you know, Brunfort is not that bad, really. It's not that bad. It's the bad. It's the bad. Yes, and her father writes back, not that bad. Like, he can't actually believe it, right? But the thing is, they played because they realized how intrusive the state was in terms of their letters. So she was a very skillful letter writer herself. And, of course, at 12, she did have agency because, you know... When, when Nelson was sent away, him and Winnie had a, a last meeting, I think it was at the fort, and one of the things he said to her as he was getting sent away was, tell the children the truth. Now, he didn't tell her what that truth was. He mm. just did tell her the truth, as men often do, make mm. these grand statements. Now, what does it mean for a mother to explain the truth of a father getting sent away for life? How do you explain what it means to have a father in jail to a child and make that sound like it's okay? What is the truth you tell a child to make it feel about its absence from its father? These were all things that fell on Winnie. So she had to create this narrative of this father for these children. She literally had to make their father for them, right? And it was Zinzi who gave her the hardest. Zinzi was the one who would ask her the difficult questions. But, Mama, why is the father next door here? You said that good fathers go to prison, that there's a good father next door. He's not gone to prison. Is he bad? You know, she would ask Winnie all these questions that would drive Winnie absolutely insane, but it was Zinzi that was very, very bumptious. She would act out. She would ask her mother the challenging questions. Her mind was always trying to figure out the truth that her mother was telling her about this
1: absent father. I mean, Gail, you, you speak to that so clearly because one of the things that uh, Mamwini also complained about was the, 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 the difficulty of explaining the concept of prison and prison being for bad people and how your father doesn't fit into that box. So what does it mean that he's good and in prison? But prison is for bad people. But That's, the, that's normal for children to ask.
4: Absolutely. And it it fell on Winnie to explain the complexity to them and also to tell them that you have a choice. Mm. She said to them, you she said, you know, you were born into this family, but you have a choice about whether or not you want to be involved politically. And Zinzi said, I choose. She chose it. She chose to stand up for what she believed in. And she was a thorn in the side of the South African security police. Zinzi got Hold of a passport, and they could not figure out how she got hold of a passport. She got hold of a passport. She wasn't allowed a passport. They tried to block her. She got hold of a passport. She crossed the border. They arrested her because of her passport and she laughed at them. She said, Don't you have anything better to do than to arrest a 16 year old girl? And they said, How did you get the passport? And she obviously wouldn't tell them. But the ways in which the state tried to curb her agency as a young woman, she was absolutely adamant that she would not do. Be, you know, op- oppressed by the, the the rules that they were trying to throw around her, mm-hmm. and she found incredible ways to work around the, the the obstacles that they put in in place of of her in particular, and, and the very gendered ways in which they attacked her as well. Because remember, when she was in Brantford, she was about sixteen or seventeen, and then when they went back to Soweto, you know, they were also putting things in the media about Zinzi being drunk, Zinzi's love life. So she became, you know, her personal life became subject to um, newspaper stories as well. So we must also remember that she as a young woman essentially had her entire reputation destroyed in the public domain and in the minds of white South Africa Mm. because she was becoming increasingly a thorn in the side of the apartheid regime in her own right. Mm. And so they trashed both her and her mother. Um, in in all of those Stratcom
1: campaigns. Gail, I mean, there's so much to talk about. We haven't even touched on her legacy now in the later years, and, and we all know that she was not going to be kept quiet by anybody, by no stretch of the imagination. I've got to leave it here because we've run out of time. I think we'll make more time, Gail. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you so much. Thank you, you, Gail Smith, feminist writer, journalist, spokesperson of the Seoul City Institute, just really giving us some insight into the journey that uh, Ambassador Zinzi Mandela went through as a young woman um, growing up under apartheid in this country and her contribution to the liberation of this country.